Hello people, it's your boy Caesar here and this is another episode of The Highbury Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us at The Highbury Club on all the socials and you know where to find me at C-C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S-S. So people, we said we couldn't let this be one defeat that turns into two, two, two turns into three. And that's exactly what we've done. We've stopped it from turning into multiple defeats back to back, which is something that we've seen in the past. It was an away game, Brentford. We know the backstory. We know the narrative. Got went there, got the three points, did the job, and it was about as convincing a game as you're going to see. Now, over here in the UK, over in London, bank holiday weekend, three day, uh, three day weekend. But we've obviously had the cancelled fixture against Everton, the cancelled fixture against PSV. So there's been, you know, a lot of space and, and build up um, to this game. And thankfully, we got the exact result we were looking for. But not just a result, we got the exact performance we were looking for. Um, now, as I said, we know the backstory, right? We remember Friday nights under the lights, first game of last season, community stadium, you know, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville dancing a jig. Um, after our squad was decimated by COVID. And, you know, after all the talk last season of COVID uh, postponements, that was the one game Arsenal were told you have to play despite half our squad not being there, you know, and some just coming back from the international break or injury. So we know what the deal was. Um, And we spoke already um, in the preview about what our team was in that game. And, you know, the starting lineup, we had the likes of Callum Chambers, Pablo Marie, Flo Balogun, um, you know, it was a very different looking side um, to the one that we have now. So while I think there was a lot of talk about banishing ghosts and sort of payback and things like that, we played them in February at the Emirates and beat them comfortably. And it could have been a bigger scoreline than it was. So, you know, while I'm sure that's the case to the degree, to a degree, personally, um, I think that was done and dusted. But obviously, because we're playing at the community stadium, naturally there's gonna there's gonna be a wish to kind of you know give them a little bit of a, a taste of that medicine on their own turf and that's exactly what happened so let's get into it um we spoke in a preview about what we thought the lineup would be um and with the news that party was back and you know available for selection in first team in in terms of first team training uh you you assumed that unless he was in a bad way he was probably going to go right back into the lineup we knew there was no zinchenko and obviously no el Nenny. um and no Smith Rowe as well. So you you think the lineup is going to be pretty self-explanatory. That being said, there definitely was a surprise. Um, I was I didn't see much of the build-up in terms of the pre-game stuff. So I pretty much uh I pretty much logged on and, and sort of watched the game as it was kicking off, pretty much. So I didn't see much of the build-up. Um I did catch the starting lineup just before um and noticed there was no Odegaard and a ton of kids on the bench. Now, this is a young squad as it is already. So seeing that, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this could be interesting, particularly because a lot of our football has gone through Odegaard this season. He has been instrumental in pretty much everything we've done in terms of ball progression up the field and chance creation. So he would drop deep a lot, probably too much to a fault sometimes, but he would drop deep a lot, connect the play, um, you know, uh, link up with Saka and Jesus further up the field, uh, draw plays to him. You know, uh, intricate passing, all of the goods, all of that good shit. So seeing him not there, my immediate thought was, you know, if we don't have Zinchenko and we don't have Odegaard, what does our ball progression look like? Um, 
needless to say, it's not something I needed to worry about when you saw how the game played out, but it was a question mark. So we saw the starting lineup um, was Ramsdale in goal, Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel Magalhaes, Kieran Tierney, Fabio Vieira, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli. Um, Substitutes bench, bench, Matt Turner, Rob Holding, Tommy Asu, Lina Sosa, Ethan Enwaniri, which is the big talking point, 15 years of age, call up to the first team on the bench. Unbelievable. We also had Matt Smith, Lokonga, Eddie Nketiah and Marquinhos. So that is quite a young bench, particularly, um, you know, for an away fixture in the Premier League and your first fixture in over a week and your last fixture for another two weeks. So this is a game you need to win. We saw Man City uh, get the win against Wolves, Erling Haaland doing Erling Haaland things, nice and comfortable. We saw Spurs batter Leicester, despite being bad, just terrible. Um, you know, they're getting wins. So we have to keep the pressure up. We have to stay top of the league. We have to keep going. So this is a game we really, really, really do need to win. Um, and I've seen a lot of talk on the timeline subsequent to the game about sort of, oh, you know, the first decent team Arsenal played, Man United, they lost, but they've, you know, beaten all the the, the fodder. My answer is simple. Um, when I look back at the season Leicester won the league, we dropped points against teams we should have beaten. We dropped points against the likes of Swansea, Southampton, Everton. You know, we pick up those points, we win that league. It's that simple. So for me, it's... Unless you're a Man City or Liverpool and you're sort of nearing 100 points for the league, unless you're in that kind of situation, it's not the points against the big team that you drop that's going to cost you. It's the points against the team you should be beating. You have to rack those up for years. Wenger got top four just by beating the rest, you know, and he'd have mixed results against the rest of the, the top sides, but he'd absolutely annihilate everybody else. And that's what we have to start doing. We have to you know, what can you do, right? You play a team you're supposed to be and people criticize you for being the team you're supposed to be. Well, in my mind, if it's a team you're supposed to be, beat them. And that's what we did today. But when you look at that squad, what I was thinking when I saw it was this, the the starting 11's got to win this game. We can't be relying on the subs to, to do it. it. It will be too much. So first goal is going to be crucial, number one. And number two is we have to hope that this team isn't going to be too disrupted by the couple of uh, players that were missing. And they could put together a, um, the kind of performance that would mean that we could go out and do the business. Um, and Brentford, they lined up as expected in a 3-5-2. Um, I think that was probably the best option for them because I think if they went to a back four, um, yeah, the, the, that would mean they came to play. And I don't think they want to do that You know, very much. It would be about frustrating us and taking their opportunities from set pieces or, or wherever they could. Um, so, in, I mean, in that 3-5-2, for example, they've beaten Chelsea, they've beaten United. And they've got draws against the likes of Liverpool and Spurs. So they've got decent results in recent months um, with the 3-5-2. So it's pretty much as I expected, Abramo and Tony up top um, being the major threats and outlet for them, particularly Tony. Um, with his England call-up, a lot of confidence. You'd expect him to want to come and, and do something against the big side. You know, he had a lot to say after the win uh, against us at the start of last season. So you know he'd have something to say if he, uh, if he, if he managed to do the business in this game. But pretty much right from the jump, um, we were on them. So literally the first minute, ball goes up the right, gets brought inside. Gabriel comes forward from the centre-back position, uh, plays a pass into zone 17, sort of around the number 10 space. Martinelli gives the ball first time to Shaka, who cuts it back first time back to Martinelli. And he's about to take the shot when he slips. If he doesn't slip, that's 1-0. And that's the first minute. So I see that and I think, okay, so 
ball progression might not be a problem after all. Um, and this is the thing about the side Arteta has built, right? We now have a team that can play um, the style of football that Arteta wants to play, even if there are a few pieces missing. Um, I think I saw Arteta say in the pre, in like subsequent to the game, I saw a clip of the the pre-game um, interview and he said something about having, or maybe it was a post-match, can't, I can't remember, but he said something about having 12 or 13 senior players to pick from um, just due to the number of injuries we have, um, which is why obviously we had such a young young bench. But it just goes to show, you know, everyone was worried during the transfer window about the depth in the squad. And my point was that Arteta had built a squad that had the kind of versatility in the in the number of um, positions our players can now play, that we do have depth. We maybe don't have one or two players more than we need, but we have enough depth. So you've got Ben White, who can play right back with step into centre-back. Tommy Yasu, who can play anywhere across the back line. Um, Zinchenko, who we know can play in multiple different positions. Saka, who we know can play in multiple positions. Jesus, Martinelli, multiple positions. Shaka, multiple positions. Vieira, multiple positions. We have a team now that can withstand some of the losses. Before we lose Ben White or Tomiyasu, we're playing Cedric. You know, We lost Tierney, we're playing Shaka at left back. It's not those days anymore. The squad has evolved, so it's fantastic to see. And even though the injuries we did have mean we had to, you know, dip into the under twenty ones for some um, some match day options. It wasn't sort of the situation we saw against Newcastle, where we have um, a hodgepodge match sort of stitched together squad just struggling to get by because injuries have decimated us. So we have a lot of injuries, and we still managed to put out a squad that can play the kind of football Arteta wants to play and play it well. And this was one of the best team performances this season. I have some questions about that that I'll get into later, but it's just something to bear in mind given all the talk um, about the squad, particularly around the, the January transfer window. Um, sorry, the, the summer transfer window. Um, a few minutes in, though, uh, we saw Rico Henry race down um, the, the channels and float a ball in. It was just a bit of a warning. The ball goes to um, Embuemo. Uh, but it's, it's he's not managed he's not managed to do anything with it and, and Ramsdale's managed to catch it. Um, it, we, it was a, it was a sign of the need to police those channels because again the way we play and how um, our, our fullbacks push into midfield those channels get exposed and we saw that again a few minutes later when the same thing happened. You know um, Rico Henry goes down the side um, and, and managed to take advantage. Instant, interestingly, in this game you saw we were doing that two three five in attack. Um, you know, players really pushed up high. That was one point where Party was in line with Saka, Vieira, and Martinelli near the edge of the area, and our two centre backs were literally on the halfway line. So we were really going for them, and that I think is a sign of the confidence we had. But interestingly, and this is um, one of the things that I was curious about in terms of the small tweaks we might see from Arteta in terms of maintaining his his uh, positional football and positional play and maintaining his footballing principles, but making slight tweaks to deal with the opposition we have. You saw in this game that Tierney and White didn't invert nearly as much as our fullbacks normally do. And I think that's got something to do with the fact that um, Brentford playing the 3-5-2 packed the middle of the pitch. Um, so there wasn't as much space the majority of the time, leaving a lot of space for build-up um, in wide. But it would mean that when we go up the field wide, we could come inside and our, the movement and the rotation of the players in those positions would move their players about, creating more space. So it was an interesting thing whereby we didn't have as much space in the middle, but we would create space in the middle with our movement. But by that point, we'd already progressed the ball um, up wide. And you'll see that with um, a couple of the goals um, that we'll talk about a bit later on. 
But that was a slight tweak as well, because normally, of course, we know how much the fullbacks normally invert to create that sort of box in the other the opposition's half of the pitch where we try to sort of retain the ball and move it about and move them about while having our um our, our number six at the base and the two two center backs um covering but in in any case i think it was a sign of the confidence and the complete control and that's the thing about this game this game more than any game this season i think bar maybe bournemouth was complete and utter decimation it was utter control um born uh, sorry Brentford were not in it. I mean, they might as well have been Bournemouth. They were not in it at all, like at all. This was, um, they had a couple of moments, but that's it, moments. And listen, football matches can turn on moments, but it certainly didn't happen in in this game. Um, So as the game went on, we just started to exert more and more of our control. Um, There was one point where Gabriel cut a ball out from De Silva, um, and otherwise Mbwemo would have been through. Um, but Martinelli does a flat cross um, just a bit just a bit later on, um, and White can't control it. So that was an example of sort of some needless possession where they were nearly in and we managed to cut it out. The ball went to uh, Martinelli, who then tried to play that ball to White. And with that, if we'd given that possession away, they would have been on us again. So despite the fact we had that control, we had to cut out those sort of needless giveaways in possession. We have to make sure we have the technical security that we always talk about, because if you're doing positional play and you're occupying those parts of the pitch, um, you know, those five channels that the attacking position, the attacking players cover, you need to make sure you're retaining the ball in the middle of the pitch and you're not doing needless giveaways. So that was a little bit of a warning around that seven minute mark. Um, and to be honest, in the first 10 minutes, I, I did think our build up and passing was a bit pedestrian. It just wasn't as quick and as sort of sharp as you'd expect. I think that might have had something to do a little bit with the pitch, but we really needed to quicken the pace if we wanted to cause them some damage. Um, again, unsurprising when you think of the loss of Odegaard and Sinchenko to starting lineup, but I think the reality is we had enough to to improve, and so we did. Um, I mean, 15 minutes in, there was a breakaway from the Arsenal area. You had Saka on the right-hand side. Um, but Tony came back to help to defence and uh, defend and double up on Saka and block the cross. Um, there was only Jesus in attack, so there wasn't enough urgency in that moment. But from that moment came our first goal, and that was around 16th minute mark. Um, so William Saliba, when the corner comes in, we know about our set pieces. We know about how how good we've been. Nicholas Jova's come in and done brilliantly well of Arteta in terms of fashioning different um, set piece chances. And we also know that Brentford are good at set pieces as well. So this was always going to be a part of this game and quite telling in terms of potentially being a difference maker between these two sides. Um, Saliba starts his motion. He's in sort of the middle of the penalty area and Saka's taking the cross um, from the corner. As Saka goes to take the corner, um, Saliba drifts to the front post and goes in front of uh, Ivan Tony. So as Saliba goes in front of him, he jumps up and heads the ball back with the top of his head, um, goes over everyone, in off the back post. Um, Rea tries to claw it out, but it's already gone over the line and the ref confirms goal line technology, goal, 1-0 Arsenal. And that was a brilliant set-piece goal. It's one of those that you think to yourself, Saliba's maybe just trying to get something on it and put it back into a dangerous area. But that's the point, right? You you create your own luck by being in good positions. And I think he was aiming for the back post, whether it was the set off to someone else, or whether it was to try and get in goal. He's clearly just trying to put in a dangerous area. And that's what you get when you do that. Um, we spoke about the fact that um, Saliba as well needs to work on his heading. That's one of his uh, areas of his game that probably needs work. He's so good every 
every other part of his game. He is the epitome of a Rolls-Royce defender. He's big, he's strong, he's calm, he's composed, he can play with the ball to his feet, he can win duels. His his pace means that he can cover, you know, uh, cover the channels if he needs to. Great one-on-one defender. He doesn't go to ground needlessly. Brilliant stand-up tackler. He's everything you'd want from a defender, from a centre-back. And he can also get goals. So if he just works on his heading, he is the complete defender, genuinely. Six foot three, six foot four. I mean, if you were going to design a centre-back for modern Premier League football, William Saliba is the, the type of centre-back you would design. And he's 21 years old. Um, it's it's genuinely phenomenal to see the level he's played at at that age. Look around the league. I'm just telling you, look around the Premier League, look around Premier League squads, and look how many 21-year-old centre-backs are playing week in, week out. Now, now, go further. Go all around the top five leagues in Europe and look for any team that's competing for Champions League football, playing Champions League football. In a, How many of them have 21-year-old centre-backs playing week in, week out? There aren't many. There's a reason he's special. There's a reason we paid 27 million for him back when he was like 18, 19. Um, so it's great to see that. Listen, if you're in a situation where you've got a bit of a an impasse and you're not imposing yourself on the game, having the ability to have uh, dangers from set pieces like Gabriel, like Saliba, is going to be able to create uh, opportunities for you to break a deadlock when you otherwise wouldn't. And that's what you're really going to need um, throughout a season, right? We're not always going to be able to play pretty intricate passing and break a team down. Sometimes you're going to need to just, you know, put the ball into the box and have someone meet on the head. And we've got that in multiple players. And William Saliba did fantastically well um, to meet that. Another assist for Saka. Listen, for someone who we've been told is having a not great start to the season, he sure is involved in a lot of the good play we do and a lot of the goals we score. Um, you know, he was involved in a goal uh Palace. He was involved in one of the goals against um, Leicester. He was involved in one of the goals again today. He's been involved a lot in, in a lot of our good play. Um, so when I hear people say that Saka isn't having a good season, what I hear is Saka isn't scoring the goals. But that's the thing. We've built a squad now where we don't have to rely on him. Last season, if Saka wasn't scoring, if Smith Rowe wasn't scoring, who was getting the goals? This season... Saka hasn't scored, and we're still getting the goals. Um, and that's really, really what you want to see. There was about 20 minutes in where um, Gabriel went down with an injured calf. It seems like forever ago now, but at the time, I was holding my head thinking, oh, God, not another one, because um, Odegaard had the calf injuries, and Chenko had a calf injury, and I see Gabriel go down. Um, and that's when there was a flashback to the warm-up before the game, and apparently he had a bit of a calf issue then. So... You know, they were getting Tommy Asu ready at that point, and you're thinking, oh, God, you know what? He's not been selected for the Brazil squad. If he's injured, get him off. Get Tommy on. Let's let's not risk any long-term injuries. You know, let's not overplay him in this one game where we're in control um, and end up, you know, losing him for three or four weeks. Because, um, you know, October 1st, when we're back, North London derby, we need him for that. Um, but he seemed to have played through it. No word on uh, any injuries or anything like that subsequently. So... Good thing that he was able to play on because, um, yeah, he was brilliant for the rest of the game, as were a lot of our, um, a lot of you know, a lot of our players on the day. Um, listen, about halfway through the the first half, the thing that jumped out at me was the atmosphere was so subdued. I mean, there's a lot of jokes about the Emirates, right? Fair enough, but we know this season it's been absolutely rocking, and even you know. 
that and I think that started from last season where there was a different vibe, a different energy, a different connection um, in the stadium. And like I said, we spoke at the start of the, the 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 podcast about Brentford last season, Friday nights under the lights, the the crowd and the energy. This was chalk and cheese. I mean, they were silent. They it was quiet. I couldn't believe it. Now it could be because of something to do with the occasion everything happening around the 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 funeral um in, involving the queen and everything else but i don't know what it was but the brentford fans were just you know i could hear the away fans again brilliant as always i could hear the away fans i could hear them singing the saliba song um but i i don't know what i don't know what was happening in brentford in the community stadium at that point um but listen there was a minute silence before the game they they must have been really committed to that minute silence because you know they they kept that going they were quiet and i don't understand why um but needless to say we had reason to cheer not long after that about 27 minutes in another arsenal goal and something that i didn't appreciate at the time of the goal but i have having seen it back um afterwards was the brilliant build-up play by the entire team in the lead up to the goal um what i mean is ramsdale had the ball and he gives it to Saliba, who passes it to White. White then comes inside. He gives it to Party, who has about four Brentford players around him. And that's the thing about playing that lone six. You're asking a player to be able to play in an extremely dangerous part of the pitch, where if the ball gets taken away at that point, it's basically four on one or four on two. Um, so because he has those players around him and they're pressing him, um, he manages to do a little turn. Um, to give it to Gabriel. Gabriel plays it forward to Tierney um, on the left-hand side, who moves up the ball, uh, moves up the pitch and gives it to Martinelli. Martinelli comes inside and passes it to Party, who's progressed forward after that. Um, and Party plays a cross-field ball uh, to Vieira over on the right. Vieira then comes back inside and gives it to Shaka. Shaka gives it to Tierney on the wide left, who gives it back to him. At this point, at the point, after, with all this build-up, by the way, which has been moving the Brentford um structure left and right and left and right and creating those spaces at the point that Shaka does the give and go with Tierney and gets it back. If you look in the penalty area, Jesus has stood in between two Brentford defenders. Um so he's 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 not behind them. He's in line. He's just in front of them. And you can see that Shaka looks up. He looks up and then kind of just checks his steps. He do, he almost does like a little a little fake a little feint before he does the kick. And in that moment that he looks up and then looks down to, at the ball, Jesus immediately knows what Shaka's going to do. And that's when he makes the movement. And the reason that that's so important is because if he moves later, he's offside. If he moves too soon, the Brentford defense, defenders can cover it. So the timing between Shaka's pass and Jesus's movement is impeccable. I implore you to go back and watch it again. The timing is genuinely impeccable. So as that ball gets floated over, left foot, perfect pass from Granite Xhaka, floated into the area. Jesus has ghosted behind the Brentford defender. I believe it's Janssen. Um, he's ghosting behind. Janssen tries to jump, can't get there. And Jesus has to be able to then jump, meet the header, has enough strength to head it across goal with enough power that Rea can't get to it, but enough accuracy that it goes over Rea and into the net across the goal. It is a phenomenal pass from Shaka and an absolutely phenomenal header from Jesus. I really need you to go back and watch that goal and watch the, the, the body mechanics of Jesus as he gets that ball, gets the power, the neck muscle, heads it across goal, 
top corner. Brilliant goal, brilliant header, fantastic assist from Shaka. Shaka was unbelievable in this game, genuinely unbelievable. And this is a moment that absolutely caps it. Brilliant accuracy, um, unstoppable, unbelievable goal. Gets better every time you watch it. Um, we spoke in preseason about um, Jesus's sort of back post finishes and the ability to do that. Um, you know, I think uh, Tim Stillman, Stilbo, spoke about that a lot as well, various podcasts and, and blogs. And um, yeah, I think we have to call that the Stilberto special. But it, it honestly, brilliant finish, something he's brilliant at. He's not the biggest, so he has to use his movement phenomenally well to do that. And it's something he does. It's, it's just genius. Sometimes he meets it at the back post with, uh, you know, a, a, a side-footed finish or a toe-poke finish. This time it was a, a nodded goal back, a, a back across goal. Fantastic from him. So you know he it, it's something we it's something we know he does well and look he was a he had a snub from the Brazil squad and the very next game he scores a goal and that's how you want to react. Um, Arteta spoke about telling the players to get their head head down, keep going and perform, and that's the best way to respond. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. So it's it's brilliant to see. Also, after he scores the goal, we see he does the little dance celebration, um, which isn't unusual, but I think it's it's definitely has to be a nod to um, his his compatriot Vinicius Junior of Real Madrid, who was on the receiving end of unsurprising yet still infuriating, you know, ridiculous comments about his dancing and celebrations. Which you know that when you see the comments, they have obvious racial undertones. We know what that is. We know we know what people are like. When it comes to that type of thing so we know how people can be so yeah vinicius keep dancing jesus keep dancing um this is how you respond it's fantastic absolutely brilliant um so at this point um at this point in the game after this goal after arsenal have gone 2-0 up arsenal have scored two or more headers in the premier league in a premier league game for just the third time since the start of 2018-19 season there was there was a time where headers was not a thing we were known for um, set pieces is not a thing we were known for. Um, it's just, it's, there was a time, there was a time when it was, and there was a time when it wasn't. So it's good to see that we are diversifying our modes of attack and it's not just all on the ground. We're able to play in the air as well, as we spoke about with the Saliba goal. So that's fantastic. Um, and at that point, Arsenal won a run of three successive headed goals, which is, um, which is genuinely quite funny. So there was Enketio against Zurich, Saliba, and then Jesus. Um, and speaking about the team build up. Um, 14 passes in the build-up to the Gabriel Jesus goal, the longest passing sequence leading to a, a goal scored by an Arsenal player this season. So 14 passes, and we spoke about that build-up and how we moved from right to left to right to left to back inside for the goal. It was brilliant. Um, you can go to uh, Harvey Downs 92 um, to have to see a little infographic of the passing. Um, so that was retweeted by Albinio, so that'll be on Albinio's thread as well. Um, so look, by this point, we're 2-0 up and we are in complete control. And I mean complete control. There was a there was a moment around the 30-minute mark or so where Brentford got a series of set pieces in and around the area and started to exert a little bit of pressure. Um, and I spoke before about their ability from set pieces, so it was something that we would need to withstand, particularly because... You know, you want this game to be comfortable. You don't want to be chasing. You don't want to give the fans something to cheer. They're subdued. They're down. They're out. You don't want to give um, anything to kind of create that energy and that momentum to allow them to kick on. Um, but the fact is, we managed to hold them off with standard pressure and their counter-attack peters out. We managed to retain the ball um, and maintain that security. And that's exactly what you need. So while they were 
coming forward and getting all their set pieces. We eventually managed to get the ball and just hold on to it. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And the rest of the first half was pretty much subdued, as down as the atmosphere was. Um, you know, on the one hand, I felt for our fans, sort of far east, far west, who had to get up or stay up early to to watch this. But I'm happy that we gave them some goals to, to make it worthwhile. Um, because honestly, Brentford were not bringing it. And I was surprised because Brentford are a really, really good side. So I was extremely surprised by how, um, I don't want to say uncommitted, because that might be unfair, but just I was expecting more from them. I was expecting more of a challenge. I was expecting them to do more, to try harder, to come at us. And they just didn't. And part of me wonders just, did were they just not able to because we were that good? I'm not sure, but we we certainly kept them off. Um Kept up, kept them off, uh, kept them off our backs, and, and pretty much put our, our foot on their necks for the rest of the first half. Um, there was one point right at the sort of towards the end of the first half where Tini was allowed to basically just waltz up to the edge of zone seventeen and smash a shot. It went sort of wildly over, but there was literally no pressure from Brentford. Um, very poor, poor first half from Thomas Frank's side. That they were way off it, which just brings me no end of delight. So, you know, it hits first time. And as I said, they're completely subdued. There's no energy in the ground from them. You know, our away fans are having a ball. You know, our players are knocking it about. Good passing, brilliant interchange. You know, Vieira's going right, Saka's going in. You know, Martinelli and Jesus are switching sides. Shaka's going up and down. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous what we're doing. Um, and they just, you know, they're lucky it's not three or four, honestly. Like we said, Martinelli had that chance um, earlier on. It really could have been more. So for the second half, it's just very much looking at Arsenal thinking, you just need to do the same thing. Just literally do exactly the same thing, control the game, avoid any individual errors or mistakes, and we'll be able to see out this game. Um, six of our seven goals conceded this season were scored um, in the second half. So maintaining concentration, particularly when you're up, so important. Um, and the second half began... And it was literally carry on much of the same. So the ball fell to Jesus in the area. Um, he had a handful of sort of wonderful um, touches with his feet to kind of step out in and around their defence. Um, he managed to get shot off, but it was blocked in the crowd scene. But if you go back, it was literally 46th minute. And he's just sort of dancing with the ball, just knocking it about, just creating those angles. And it's just a reminder of how technically gifted he is and how much we've missed a striker with that kind of ability. Um, not just in terms of being able to get goals, but in terms of actually being able to play football. It was fantastic. Um, so at this point, sort of we're talking the first couple of minutes, we're sort of doing build-up in what's more of a 3-4-1-2. So it seems like they're split strikers um, with Martinelli and Jesus, with Vieira in the middle sort of running through. Um, so it's interesting. If you look, there's a particular point where there, there's, a, there's a frame where you can see it clearly and it's, Again, it's because we have so much to ball and so much pressure that we're just committing people, committing people forward. Um, and it's around this time that we get the third goal. And it's an example of the small margins in football that can make all the difference. So there's a pass to William Saliba and he has a very loose touch. Now he's at risk of losing it in a central position with no one behind him on the cover. If he loses it in that position, Ivan Tony is 1v1 versus Ramsdale complete oceans of space no one around him and this is where the technical security in the middle of the pitch is so important you cannot give the ball away in those areas it is you know if you give the ball away in wide areas you might be able to cover and delay enough for your players to get it back in support but you lose it in central areas you are finished 
But this is William Saliba. So Saliba does Saliba things. Despite that loose touch and uh, Tony being onto it, Saliba just does a nice, neat, calm, composed turn away from the pressure. Just literally a 360 um, or more of a 180, really, um, away from pressure. And after he does the turn, he does a give-and-go of party before the ball's played wide to Saka. Um, well, it's played to Vieira, then Saka. So it's played Saka via Vieira. Um, Vieira carries it up the right wing. So we've gone from a position where we've nearly given away a goal and everyone will be talking about a Saliba mistake and how he's still young and he's still got to learn and we can't get ahead of ourselves. None of that because he turns away from pressure and, and helps with the build-up. Um, but anyway, as the ball's gone to Vieira and he's carrying it up the right wing, we see an overlapping run from Ben White, um, which allows for the ball to, um, sorry, the ball's played up the right, carried up the right, right wing by Saka. Ben White's made an overlapping run, which just gives a few more seconds for Saka to carry the ball forward. He plays it inwards to Vieira. And Vieira, in that number 10 space, is in oceans. Of, I mean, there is no one around him. He literally almost stops. He he, he almost comes to a standstill. It's it's just ridiculous how much space there is for him. And I'm not used to seeing Arsenal players having space in a number 10 position. Normally, when teams play Arsenal, they know anyone receives the ball in that area, you smash it. That's, that tends to be, you know, you remember um, you remember recent games that, that teams were just like, yep, go in on them. Just, just go in. You know, Leicester were doing that to us. Palace were doing that to us. Um, it, it, I'm, so when I saw him receive the ball there, I just thought, wow. Okay. Um, and he just looks up 27 yards out and hits it, just hits it. The ball cracks off the post and goes into the net. It is an amazing first goal for a club, particularly on your first start, your Premier League debut. Unbelievable strike. And there's a little bit of a delay before he starts celebrating because I don't think he actually sees it go in, despite he hears the post and I think he sees other people react and then he sees the ball sort of go to the other side of the, the back of the net before he realizes it's gone in and then he starts to celebrate. But it is a ridiculous, ridiculous first goal for Vieira. Well-deserved. He was brilliant the entire day. Um, and again, it just goes to show we were able to take a situation that was, you know, a semi-freak-out semi moment, just calmly play up, build up. And we spoke earlier on about the um, sort of inverting of the, the the fullbacks and how there was a little bit less of that. And actually, because Brentford were packing the middle of the pitch, um, our build-up was going sort of along the width of the, of the pitches, so up the wings. And we saw that here. So Saliba has the ball, give and go in the middle of the pitch, gives it wide, um, Saka via Vieira. And so we bring the ball up the field, up the width. We then bring it back inside um, where there's a sea of uh, Brentford players, just none of them are pressing Vieira. And that's how he's able to get the shot off. But again, it was an example of just how um, a lot of our build-up wasn't going um, sort of uh, traditionally as it would do with our fullbacks in inverting. Because even for that goal, we saw Ben White makes the overlapping run to create space for Saka to bring the ball inside. So it it just shows that little tweak, that little variation, not having Zinchenko, not having Odegaard, no problem. Um, we were able to tweak things and, and, and be effective. Um, and yeah, you pretty much know with that goal, game over, shut down. They're not coming back into it. They are piss poor. Um, they did themselves you know, they did themselves a real disservice with their performance. I thought I thought they were genuinely bad. Um, there was a moment around the 50th minute where uh, I thought uh, we had a penalty given against us. 
where it was a free kick due to a Martinelli foul on the edge of the area. It was a pretty inventive kick, free kick, the, the um, indirect free kick, short pass play to Tony. Um, Tony sort of flicks the ball up and hits it with his laces with, with some force and it goes just over. Um, a little bit of a danger sign again about Brentford and their set pieces. But ultimately, you know, it came to nothing and there was only a couple of other chances they really had in the game. Um, when you look at the highlights from things like match of the day, it makes the game look a lot closer than it was. It really wasn't. Um, it, it's it's quite interesting as well, just um, how bad at moments um, Brentford's pressing was. And I don't know why that was. I really don't know why that was the case. Um, but there was a moment around the 50, 56th minute, for example, where Brentford decided to press and they pressed on Saliba. Um, he goes back to Ramsdale. Um who goes and Saliba goes wide, right? So Saliba's going in the middle. He gives it to Ramsdale. They're pressing Saliba. Saliba goes wide to be able to give Ramsdale an option sort of in the uh, defensive right, right-hand right side of the defense. Ramsdale plays a low pass instead in the center of the pitch to party, who then plays it right to Saliba and we're out of trouble. And it's that fantastic build-up, right? So in the moments where they did decide to press, we were able to get out um, because of that range of passing. Um, and it's one of the reasons Ramsdale is so important and has been our number one. Um, we're able to go up the field and we see good interplay um, and it sees Jesus get, get into the box. Low hard drive, saved by Ray's legs. That could have been four. It was brilliant interplay, brilliant um, brilliant chance. The result of call, corner came to nothing. But again, it's a good example of some good build-up play and good interplay. Um, do more of that throughout the rest of the season and we'll be incredibly hard to deal with. Um Again, somewhere around the 65th minute, there's a bit of a game state switch. Brentford start to apply some pressure, but again, it comes to absolutely nothing. They are really, really, really off the pace. Um, this game was a game that looked a lot like a big team playing a team that's just been promoted from the championship. Um, they haven't, of course, but that's that's how it felt. Um, so yeah, listen, I could go on about the rest of the second half and there were definite moments um, for example, there was a moment where there was a bit of a loose touch from Party. The ball got cleared up the field from Gabriel. Um, Party loses a duel again in midfield, and the ball breaks for Damsgaard. Um, the ball was played in behind. Saliba puts on the afterburners and uh, goes past Tony to cover the ball and plays it out. It's great one people on defending. Um, so won the duel after Party lost it in midfield, and again, there for all their good work, it comes to nothing. There is a moment around the 65th minute where there's some brilliant positional play. Um, so a ball goes to Vieira, White's on the overlap. Instead of doing a cross to the box, he does sort of like a low cutback pass into the box for Tierney, who sets it back for Saturday, uh, Saka's hit. Um, he's going for the far post and it's a brilliant save from Rea. So again, we see another situation where we're allowed to progress the ball up the, up the field along the width and then come back inside, um, which is fantastic to see. Um, and it's also a brilliant um, set-off from Tierney for Saka, which shows Tierney's ability, funny enough, um, to play inside. And we see that part of his game is developing. He's growing. He's learning to be more of an interior player. Um, it's never going to be his strength, obviously. He's definitely more of an exterior-type fullback. But that's fine. Because if he can, if it means we can still play our style of football with him playing, that's that's just that's exactly what we need. And it's a reminder that, look, because of his injuries, I think people have started to question Tierney's ability. It's the same thing with Smith Rowe. Because of the injuries, people start to question their ability. Kieran Tierney is a very, very, very good fullback. A very good fullback. And I think people will need to understand that the options we now have mean that we can swap in um, 
yeah, we can swap in some um, some really good players when when other players are missing. Um, as said, great save from Rea, who um, we could have ended up with him, obviously, but we ended up with Runison because, um, you know, Rea's release clause at the time was prohibitive due to um, Brentford staying up. We now have Ramsdale, and as we've spoken about, I think we know why we have Ramsdale. Brilliant keeper. Lots to improve on, of course. Still very young, 24, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it, Ray wasn't someone who ever massively impressed me. He's a, he's a good keeper, very good keeper, um, very good with the ball to his feet. Um, and I wonder whether he's someone who, for example, might, Man United might look at in the future. I mean, if they want to kind of continue with the ten hog ball that they're trying to build, they're going to need a keeper who can play with the ball out of his feet. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ray is someone they looked at. Um, he was someone, obviously, uh, who um, was spoken about highly by our goalkeeping coach uh, in Akikana. Um, who was previously at Brentford, but given that Kana also recommended Renison, yeah, I don't know about all of that. Um, but in any case, um, there's a around the 70th, 70th minute, um, they have a bit of a moment. They managed to get the ball played into the box. It's played through to Damsgaard, who has a low shot on the right-hand side of their penalty area that's saved by Ramsdale uh, with his feet. Um, there was a clever run off party off, uh, off his blind side, um, uh, sort of by Damsgaard to meet the through ball. Um, and it was the best on the ball that Brentford had been, but again, came to nothing. There was another opportunity that saw um, Umbremo, uh neatly onto a loose ball. Um, and you sort of could see then where Arsenal will take risks playing out from the back. It could lead to Brentford sort of recovering the ball. Um, but in that situation, we won it back and sort of, yeah, it, it came to nothing again. Some of Brentford's best moments and they came to absolutely nothing because they were genuinely quite dreadful on the day. Um, so yeah, it's there was one moment on the 70th, 75th minute, which was, if you want to go back and watch, a sign of a really effective press from us. Um, the ball was played at a wide into a channel uh, by Brentford um, due to the central press of our sort of Jesus and Martinelli and plays like that. Um, and as they brought it wide to their left-hand side of the pitch to try and progress the ball up the, the left-hand touchline, Saliba was jockeying the Brentford player, the, the Brentford attacker on the on their left, our right, and the ball went out. And so again, we kind of pressed them to the point where they moved the ball exactly where we wanted to move it. Um, Saliba got into the back of their attacker and it went nowhere. Um, so not only were we having effective attacking play, it was really, really effective defending play as well. Um, one of the things we do need to work on, of course, is the counter press, but that really wasn't an issue in in this game. Um, we saw uh, Partey and Martinelli go off, and Ketia Lokonga come on. Um, so I was interested to see whether or not it was a front two of Jesus, or whether Jesus would go to you know the the left, and then Ketia would go through the middle. Ultimately, it didn't really matter in the end because there really wasn't anything um, to to talk about. Um, there was a moment where I again another penalty I think being called. Um, but ultimately they were offside and you could see Ben White celebrating in the back cheering when the offside went. Um, it would have been Saliba who gave away the pen in that situation, but it really does show you the small margins because, um, you know, if that happens, you know, you have the moment where Saliba has the loose touch that Tony could have been onto, but he turns away. There could have been that potential penalty given away and suddenly you're talking about Saliba having a goal, but giving away sort of two chances um, for Brentford. It is a small margins game, but because we go on to win the game 3-0. We don't talk about it. No one ever remembers it. And that is the, that's how um, reputations and games and confidence can turn on incredibly small moments. Um, but look, 
it's around, not, not much has happened for the rest of the game, but it's around the 91st minute that one of the big talking points of the game, um, Ethan and Waniri comes on with Marquinhos, Vieira and Saka goes off, and Enwaniri becomes Arsenal's youngest ever player to make a debut in the Premier League, 15 years and 181 days old. The youngest player to play for Arsenal in the Premier League, the youngest player to play in the Premier League, full stop. Um, and I think, I believe, he's the youngest player to play for any team in any of the top five leagues in Europe. Unbelievable. When he was born, um, the Emirates was already built. It's It's pretty... <laughs> it's pretty incredible to think about it. I mean, we're talking about two, 2007. I can't even remember 2007. Um, it's, it, let's, let's put it this way. For a player that young um, to break into an Arsenal first team, how, how talented do they have to be? How hard do they have to work? How much do they have to have sacrificed? Um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, I mean, just look. In the United States, for example, in 2007, the iPhone was announced, right? US presidential candidates, including Mitt Romney, Rudy Giuliani, John McCain, the Democrats, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton. Um, it's <laughs> the new Wembley Stadium was completed in 2007. I mean, the British troops withdrew from Iraq in 2007. It's, I, I, I cannot describe enough just how much time has passed since then and how old it makes me feel that uh that that is the case but a brilliant moment for him a brilliant moment for his family um but you know it was only on the 91st minute they came on so there was nothing to it game was pretty much done um so i think the club are probably still deciding where his final um his final sort of uh, place is going to be in terms of a starting lineup, whether it will be, you know, in the right wing position, number eight, number 10. Um, but he's still so young. There's still so much for him to do before that's ever even a thing. Um, but in any case, nothing else happened. Game over. We win 3-0. Brentford lose. Fantastic day. Um, brilliant performance. Complete dominance control. Brentford were never in it. Um, they had some small moments, but none of them, none of them made you panic. None of them made you go, oh, oh. even when there was that small moment with um, Saliba on the edge of the area, uh, not on the edge of the area, but sort of in that defensive um, space, you're never thinking to yourself, uh oh, what's going on here? Nah, you're just thinking calm, because that's the thing. He exudes calmness, and and that's what it was. This was a calm and composed win, absolutely dominant. The fact we were missing Sinchenko and Odegaard, they weren't missed. Um, Shaka captain for the day. It's just so many talking points, so much to love about it. Brilliant win. Love it. And that was it. So anyway, that's it for part one. Part two, we're going to come back and just talk about some of the talking points from the game and just some of the things that we're, um, we picked up on. So back shortly. What's good, people? It's part two of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is well. Hope you got yourself a nice little drink in the break. And we are back. Um, so yeah, as we said, 3-0, utter dominance. Um, so dominant that I almost forgot Ramsdale was on the pitch, honestly. Um, so we had 13 shots to their five. We had seven on target to their two. Um, five block, uh, five shots from outside the box to their one. Um, eight shots from inside the box to their four. 63.6% possession. Um, is it 63.6, I think. Shot accuracy, sorry. We had 63.9% possession. Um, yeah, it was, they had, 
um, more duels won, more aerial duels won, uh, more interceptions, more offsides. Uh, each team had three corners taken. So they were they were doing their best. They were trying to compete. Um, and it was something I did, I did wonder about, right? Because um, on the one hand, it was brilliant stuff from us. We made a very good team look completely and utterly ordinary. They looked... They they looked like it was it was no contest. Like honestly, it was kind of like that thing where an older sibling is um holding a younger sibling by by their head with their palm while the younger sibling is wildly swinging their arms, but they're being held at arm's length. It it was a bit like that, you know. They 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 were trying, but just nothing, absolutely nothing. Um they it just I, I don't know what to say, honestly. I, I watched that game and I just thought, this is a non-event. They're, they're just not in it. Um, we gave them nothing. We're top of the league. We're a top side. Arteta is absolutely doing the business. Um, so in my head, I'm thinking to myself, were we just so dominant that they had they just couldn't compete? Or were they so poor that we just took advantage of how bad they were? Um, and as usual, it's probably a little bit of both, but I can't help but feel like when you look at how we played, um, we really, really, really did did take it to them. Um, and a big part of that is our ability to play and the combinations we can we can put together regardless of who's on the pitch. And this is where um, squad building is so important. And I know that um, Yankee Gunner on the Arsenal Vision podcast talks about this a lot, and I'm inclined to agree with him about that. It's when you're building a squad, you want to bring in first-team players who can challenge the first-team players you already have. There is no point in bringing in um, backup options unless you are bringing in just like, you know, a veteran third-choice goalkeeper, you know, or it's an emergency signing to cover an emergency injury on loan. I don't see the point in bringing backups. Otherwise, you you want to sign players who can compete. You want to sign players who are coming in to try and rip the shirt off the guy in front of them. Um and we've we've been doing that. We've been building a squad. So we've we've gone through different iterations where, you know, had a team where there's a handful of players that Arteta trusts and the other ones he trusts, he does so out of necessity. And then we get to an iteration where he trusts the, you know, he trusts the starting eleven, but not many players on the bench, to now being in a position where we have enough cover that any one of the players on the starting eleven could be on the bench and any of the players on the bench could be in the starting eleven. And even when we're missing, you know, five or six players for injuries we still got enough on the bench to be able to, to to come on and see our game. So it's brilliant to see. And despite whoever's on the pitch, we can we can create those combinations. So today, for example, if you look at our top passing combinations, there's Saka to Ben White on the right-hand side, 17. There's Gabriel Tatini um, towards the left-hand side of, of our defence. And then there's also 16 between White and Saka on the right-hand side as well, which again just shows you how involved Saka was in our passing combinations. So for anyone who tries to tell you he's having a bad start to the season, he's really not. He's just not scoring goals. And it tells you all you know about how they're observing people's performances. And that's the unfortunate thing, right? Someone like Bakaya Saka is not going to get spoken about for, because, for his performances because he's not scoring, but he's doing everything else. He's committing players to him. He's, you know, slipping past them. He's giving assists, he's creating goals, he's involved in intricate passing play, he's covering at the back. Um, honestly, he's doing everything that's expected of him bar scoring, but we've got so many players doing that now that the burden, the burden and the onus isn't on him to be our goal scorer, and that's ultimately a good thing. Um, you can see in terms of how we played, 2-3-5 in attack, 4-4-2 in defence, the discipline in our shape was so crucial to the result. Um, it was It's great to see such a difference. I still remember the days of late Wenger, 
the last days of Emery, um, you know, the complete chaos in the structure of the team. So it's so good to see um, such a well-coached and well-disciplined side. It, you know, it still is. Um, but listen, onto the standout performances, and there were so many of them, right? We got to talk about Fabio Vieira. Um, 85% pass accuracy, 52 touches, um, 16 of 21 final third passes completed, six ball recoveries, one key pass, one shot on target, one goal. And what an impressive goal to score in your first Arsenal start in the Premier League. Um, it's interesting, right? Because when we saw that Erdegaard wasn't going to be available, we had questions about what the team would look like, how it was going to play, um, how we were going to progress the ball, particularly with Nosinchenko as well. Um, and you saw that Fabio Vieira did it in a slightly different way. There were moments where he sort of dropped a little bit deeper, like Erdegaard tends to do. But a lot of the time he was swapping on the right with Saka. So there's times when Vieira would go sort of to the right wing and uh, Saka would go into the number eight position. Times when Saka would be right and Vieira would go into number eight, number eight position. And Ben White would be on the overlap on either occasion to create more confusion. And that movement just moved the Brentford players around, but also created those passing options that would allow us to just knock the ball and play intricate intricate passing to take advantage of the gaps that the movement created. It, it was absolutely brilliant. So for him to step in like that, like I said, first Premier League start away from home, um, it, it shows you the depth that we have, but it also shows you the talent because he's definitely, you know, he's not had a preseason. He was injured pretty much throughout the entirety of preseason. Arsata said, you know, the more you see him, the more you're going to like him. That certainly seems to be the case. Um, Brilliant left football accounts, brilliant passing. Like we said, needs to bulk up a bit, needs to um, put a bit of muscle on, but it doesn't look like that's going to be a problem for him to impose his game. It just means that when he does, he's going to be even better. Um, so yeah, obviously we know that development isn't linear. I'm sure he'll have his challenging moments in the league, but he's just got to keep going, keep doing his best. Um, and look, he wasn't a, a, a punt, you know, he wasn't a Marquinhos or a Nuno Tavares. We paid over 30 million for him, close to 35 mil. So we brought him in to have an impact and it looks like he will do. So that is fantastic. Spoke a little bit at the end of the first part of the podcast about uh, Granite Xhaka. The fact that Granite Xhaka got made captain and it just was not a talking point. Rehabilitation complete. That's what that means. Um, all of the stuff that happened before is done. He's not only, he listen, he not only has a new role now in terms of being in that number eight position and being further forward and making those runs into the left-hand side of the penalty area, those attacking uh, channels to combine with Jesus and Martinelli. Not only is he doing that, you know, he's dropping deeper to, to provide assistance where needed. So, for example, in previous games where Lokonga was playing, Shaka wasn't making as many of those penalty area runs to provide options and support for, for Lokonga. Um but yeah, it, it's one of the reasons I talk about that is because while he has this new position and this new role, uh, should I say, in the team, and he's been so effective with it, he's a player who's had multiple roles over the years and has had to constantly adapt. Um, we talk about how much managers trust him and how he was sort of the first name on the team sheet for pretty much the entirety of his Arsenal career. But it's also the fact that not only has he been a constant in the side, um, he's constantly had to evolve what he does and he's constantly done it and managers have constantly trusted him except in the last year to 18 months he has really 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 stepped up um in terms of his output his ability his performances the consistency of those performances and what i mean is chaka has always been consistent right he's always been a player that has been consistent it's just he has 
far fewer of those bad moments. Um, and the consistency of the level of his performance has gone up. So, you know, he might give you six and sevens out of tens consistently, seven out of tens, but he's given you eight or nine out of tens consistently. He he really is. And it's, it's just brilliant to see. Um, you know, people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, <laughs> I think Shaka begs to differ. It's, I, I know a lot of it for me, at least in my opinion, is a lot to do with Arteta putting him in the best positions to succeed. Um, and, you know, in some of his early days, uh, in Shaka's early days under Wenger, Shaka was a bit more attacking, um, you know, and we know that the whole thing about Wenger calling him a box-to-box before, before saying actually he's a deep-line playmaker and sort of the question marks about that. But on the one hand, it could just be that he wasn't properly scouted and Wenger just was saying stuff. Um, but on the other hand, it could just be that he's able to do different things and we just never really appreciated it because he was constantly having to firefight and do, you know, diving tackles at the last minute as, you know, players were running through on goal and he had Mustafi falling over to the left of him and Kolasinac sort of doing whatever he, whatever he used to do. When you look at some of the teams he played and you look at the structure of some of those teams, it's no wonder um, that maybe some of his performances were what they were, but, uh, you know, for me, the Shaka we're seeing right now, one of the issues we always had is Shaka's good, but should he should he be our starter? Should he not be an option? You'd be hard placed to find a player that removes Shaka right now um, that's on the market that's available. If we step to the market right now looking for a number number eight to replace Shaka, to bench Shaka, to take Shaka's shirt, how much does that player cost? And where does that player come from? Because these performances, and I'm, I'm not just talking about today because Brentford are terrible, but just generally over the last 18 months, who it people you know um there was all the talk about uh uh about telemans in the summer telemans doesn't do better than shaka right now not this shaka uh, maybe the previous shaka he gets ahead of him but not this one so i i am genuinely curious to see what we do about this number eight position because don't get me wrong we do need to push on we constantly have to try and get better we have to improve i still do think we need a player in that position but i'll just be interested to see who comes in that's taken shaka's shirt with the way he's playing right now. I mean, in the first half, 82% accuracy, 35 touches, two out of three long long balls completed, two key passes, one big chance created, one assist, and another important assist for him. Because, um, yeah, it, it just shows the impact he's having on games. Um, he's not just sort of generally involved in passive passing and build-up. Generally, he's having, um, he's taking up crucial positions, he's occupying crucial spaces. He's um, really good defending um, set pieces in our own half. He's also really good at providing support in the attacking half. Um, look, he had a great game. And I said in the uh, preview pod that for this game, our senior players are going to need to step up. And he did that. Um, he, he, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I didn't see it. I'm, I'm going to be brutally honest. I did not see Granit Xhaka being able to get to this level. Um yeah, I, I just, I didn't, and he has. So credit to him, he fully rehabilitated. The fans love him. Singing the Shaka song in the stands, I did not think I'd see the day where the Shaka song was getting sung full voice by the um, by, by the Arsenal fans and the Arsenal faithful. And they are um, really happy for him. Love that he's been rehabilitated. This is the Shaka I always wanted to see, and we're getting it. So what else can you say but credit to him? Um, Gabriel Jesus. 
at some point we are going to run out of things to say about this guy because his technical ability is absolutely superb. His ability on the ball is ridiculous. He's got such quick feet. He's so tenacious. He works so hard. Low center of gravity. He is he's immovable. Um, his deft touches, his sort of his drop of the shoulders and his, his ability to kind of turn on the spot and face up to defender and move them around. I, I don't understand it. It's crazy. And then you factor in the fact that he's playing as a number nine for us and scoring goals. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say. He is so, so important. Um, he's he's currently never lost a Premier League match in which he scored a goal. 50 matches, 47 wins and three draws. He, clutch. Absolutely clutch. And again, I implore you, go back and watch that header. It is, the movement is ridiculous. Um, you know, as the as the build-up play is, being, uh, is going on, and he comes into into shot. Just keep an eye on him. Just keep an eye on what he does. A few steps here, a few steps there. Shaki gets the ball. He immediately knows what's going on and just drifts back. And then he's just got to get himself in the right position to get the header off, to just head it back across goal. It's so good. He is so good. Um, I don't really know what to say about him, as I've said, but he is going to be so pivotal to us if we're going to have the season that we want to have. Um, also have to talk about William Saliba. Really have to talk about him because... Um, Obviously, there's a lot of talk by all of us about what was going to happen. Is he going to stay? Does he want to go? Um, will we be able to hold on to him? Does Arteta like him? You know, is he going to ship him out? And I think a lot of us said, you know, a, a lot of the worry about that was not just because of everything that happened with Saliba and how it happened. It's also the times when Arteta hasn't been happy with a player. The propensity with which Arteta has shipped the player out has basically said, don't want you, don't need you, you're gone. And so I think people are all worried that that was going to be the case. You know, then there's also the question of Saliba coming in, getting the number four shirt, being stripped of the number four shirt while he's on loan, it being against Ben White. Arsenal spent 50 million on Ben White when they already had Saliba. The Saliba wars in on online, all of that looks really stupid. All of that looks really, really stupid now. A lot of us were saying that Having Saliba, White, and Gabriel wasn't a problem. You can you can have all of them, all three will play. There's more than enough games. Um, maybe people didn't expect that all three of them will play at the same time, pretty much from the start of the season. But look, it works. Um, the partnership he's built up with Gabriel is unreal. I mean, if you're if you're a striker for the opposition, where do you go? Because you must look at Gabriel and think, how am I how am I moving him around? He's, he's he, how am I moving him around? He's he's brilliant. And then you go to the other side and you see Saliba and you think to yourself, well, what am I doing there? Six for three, six for four, lightning speed, composure, loves a duel. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, I you wouldn't want it with either of them if you're a striker. So the only thing you've got hope for is is to exploit exploit faces in the channel because you're not getting you're not getting any joy one on one with with either of them. Um, and it feels so good to be able to watch uh, a Saliba play football for the Arsenal. He's like the anti-Mustafi. You know, I, I just, for all the talk, and I know people have said, you know, Mustafi wasn't really as bad as you made out and blah, blah, blah. No, he was terrible. Um, I he, he was, I'm sorry. It just, he was. And he just, he always looked nervous. He was always uneasy. He never looked sure of himself. Um, and then you've got, Saliba, just calm, composed, a presence. We deserve this. After so many years of terrible, terrible defenders, we deserve this. So 
you know, just enjoy it. It's not just his defensive ability as well. It's the fact he's a goal threat. Um, so we got the assist from Saka, the header from Saliba, another goal. Um, it's really, it's really important that we have that as well, just because again, like we said, for those games where we're going to struggle to break teams down, we know that we can get a goal from the likes of William Saliba. It also adds that extra, uh, extra string to his bow in terms of his ability and what he can do in a game. Um, in this game, 100% tackles won, 100% dribbles completed, 89% pass accuracy, 70 touches, four out of five ground duels won, one shot on target, one goal. I mean, those kind of numbers, and he's putting those kind of numbers up consistently, week in, week out. Um, you know, he's... Yeah, I don't know what to say. You know, when Artes spoke about him, he said... He hasn't trained for 10 days. He had some discomfort. He only had one training session and he comes in and competes the way he does. As well, the ugly part of the game, people won't recognize too much. He deserves some credit and that is absolutely right. He's not. It's not just his calm and composure and the smooth play on the ball. It's the aggression um, in terms of his defensive work as well. He's not someone who's just there to kind of do the easy stuff. He's able to do the hard stuff and you you don't talk about it. And that's kind of my thing about really good players. There are things that they do that you just don't talk about because they're so good. They do it so often. It just blends into the background. And that's what you want. You don't want to have a player where you're constantly having to analyze their game because you're seeing stuff that needs analyzing to understand why it keeps happening. The things he does are so good that you just don't even notice he's doing it. And that is that is the point. You know, The way he shields the ball, the way he covers ground, there are times when players would have an opening that they just don't because he's already there and the, the opportunity never even arises. And it's because his presence and his movement and his awareness, that's something that was definitely, that definitely needed work last season and he's definitely worked on. He's being more aware. He's looking around himself to see what's going on and he's cutting out opportunities before they arise. Um, he's a special player. And if he continues, he will continue to be special. We just need to tie him down to that contract so that if anyone comes knocking, they got to pay us the big money to get him in, in four or five years' time. Um, but, you know, it's it's obvious that he has an important role to play in this squad, and it's obvious the connection the fans have to him. And ultimately, football's an emotional game. It's about how it makes you feel. Um, you you may not always remember all of the little details about every game um, or all of the little, little details about a player, but you'll, you'll remember how they made you feel. And he feels like a special player. And you can see how he connects with the fans. And I don't think it's his, it's his personality that's connecting. I think it's his ability that's connecting. People are seeing him and seeing how he plays. And they're going, this is a guy that we want to see play for our club. These are the kind of players we want and have wanted for so long. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see. But one of the big talking points that we absolutely have to talk about, of course, is the Arsenal debut for young Ethan and Winieri. We spoke in the, uh, at the end of the first half about how young he is, youngest player to play in Premier League history, youngest ever to make his debut in, a, in the top five European leagues. Um, we don't know at this stage whether he's going to be more Sesk uh, and less Jermaine, Jermaine Pennant, um, but he would have done extremely well to get called into the first team. Um, when asked about bringing him into the, the, the squad today, Arteta said it was a pure gut feeling. I met the boy. I really liked what I saw. Um, Poe in the academy was giving me good feelings. He trained with us a couple of times and I had the feeling from yesterday that if the opportunity could come, I was going to do it. Um, he made the point that we only had about 12 or 13 senior players 
So I wouldn't expect to see this often. I wouldn't expect to see this much. Put it like this, if we have most of our first team players fit and Enwaniri is getting on the bench, that is how you know he is special. But he must already have something about him to be in the first team squad, even with injuries at the age of 15. He's only just recently uh, made his under-21 debut. He's 15. He's playing in the under-21s. That is a massive jump. You know, he's playing four or five years above his age. That is ridiculous. Um, so it's clear that he's got a lot of talent. Um, he started to, you know, noises start to be made about him over the last few months. He's clearly well-known, um, you know, throughout all the academy structures and and in the England setup um, at youth level. So he's clearly one to watch. Hopefully Arsenal, you know, he he wouldn't have signed a scholarship yet. He's not 16. So that's, that's to come when he turns 16. Um, I imagine that they'll want to get him his first pro contract as soon as possible after that. Um, so all he's got to do is keep his head down, forget the noise, forget the publicity, forget the press, keep working hard, keep focused on his game. And if he's as special as he appears to be, he'll, he'll get his chances for sure. Um, and that's another thing, you know, we are a very, very young side and we're bringing on 15-year-olds to play in the Premier League. How well are we doing as a club that we are top of the table, beating teams by three goals, and we're bringing on 15-year-olds to see out the game? That tells you how far we've come. There isn't any point in the past three, four, five years where Arsenal were in a position to be able to do that. We are now, and that is progress. That's what it looks like. So again, we just have to continue. So um congratulations to Enwaniri, his family, obviously the club, Arteta, it speaks incredibly well about Per and the Academy set up. More and more players are getting an opportunity, and that's something we want people to know. If you're a young player and you've got a lot of promise, you can get chances at Arsenal. You really can. Our loan system is doing a lot better. We're using our loans a, a lot, a lot better than we were before. Um, so we're bringing in that talent, we're getting them first team experience on loan. Um, and if they're good enough and the opportunities are there they'll get a chance. If not, we'll make a profit off them compared to, you know, previous years when we lost the likes of Benesir and Marlon for next to nothing. Um, hopefully those days will be gone. And the better we do as a club, the better our players will look and the more our young players will be worth when we sell them. So rather than losing players for next to nothing, we can do a Liverpool and sell a Solanke for 20 million despite the fact he hadn't done that much by that point. So that's what we need to get to. So honestly, um, congratulations to him. Didn't have much um, time on the pitch to be able to show what he can do, but I'm sure he'll be itching to have a chance, whether it's the League Cup or the Europa League, or you know, if there's more injuries, he'll be he'll be absolutely um, wanting to get a chance, get a touch on the ball, and and show what he can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it it's ridiculous. It really is. Um, I just actually another point before before I move on about the young players. It's something important to remember. Um, Eddie Nketiah is 23 years old and he's played 100 games for Arsenal. He's only in the last six months just properly properly broken into the first team as a, as a player who gets consistent minutes. He's been a first team player for a little while, but it's only in the last six months that he's getting consistent minutes. And he's played 100 games and won a trophy, right? Um, Arteta spoke about Martinelli. In a year, if you look at the game they played here a year ago to today, it's just incredible how fast they grow, they mature, they recognize situations, execution level, the understanding, and even physically. We remember that game against United where uh, Arteta pulled Martinelli off at halftime and he didn't feature too much after that. And everyone said, oh, Arteta doesn't like Martinelli, blah, blah, blah. 
you can see just how much um, young players can grow and develop if you can keep them together and add some experience around them. Um, so as I said at the top of this segment, we already are an incredibly young side. So to be bringing in even more young players, like I said on the bench, Matt Smith was there as well. Um, you know, Amari Hutchinson could have well been playing in this game if he'd stayed and not gone to Chelsea. And now he's playing in their under-21s and that's where he'll be until they ship him out on loan until inevitably he ends up playing in the Belgian second division. It's just, it, it, it just goes to show, you know, if you have the patience and you put in the work, it won't be long. And, and yeah, that's fantastic. So with that game over and that fixture over, um, our next five fixtures after the international break, Spurs at home, Bodo Glimt at home, Liverpool at home, Bodo Glimt away, Leeds away. Um, those are the next five fixtures. After that, it's the uh, postponed fixture against PSV. But of course, we have an international break. Boo, hate them. But after the international break, you know where it is. It's the North London derby. We are currently top of the league. Spurs are third place in 17th. Look, they are poor, but they keep winning. We're playing better to them, but they keep winning. So it's important for us to do what we do and put them out of their misery and let them know what time it is. The thing is, we were better than United. United still won. The way we play and the way they play, compatible in the sense of we can break them down and we can get goals, but they can counter us and they can get goals. This is really going to be a tough fixture. It really is. But it's at home and we tend to do well against them at home. So we're really going to need to be on our A game. So let's hope that players come back from the international tournaments, um, sorry, international games, unharmed, healthy, fit, ready to go. October 1st, we go again in the Premier League. Um, but for now, watch the highlights, bask in the glory, enjoy the three points. Top of the league in October is what we're going to be when we kick off um, against Spurs. Top of the league for August, top of the league for September. Listen, man, it's not by accident these things happen, right? You, It's one thing if it's after one or two games, but we're seven games in, we're top of the league. If we can keep it going, look, I think we all know what we expect to happen this season in terms of Man City running away with it, particularly when you look at Erling Haaland and what he's doing in the league. But I think for sure what we can say is we definitely are a much improved team and it's time to go out and particularly after how last season ended, it's time to go out and show those lot down the road who really runs this city. But in any case, people, enjoy the rest of your bank holiday. Enjoy the win. We'll have a couple of pods for you during the international break. We're going to go over a few things, you know, what's going on in the Gunasphere, but also going to take a little bit of a look at the progress of the club under Arteta just so we can get a sense of perspective about how far we've come because I think it's very easy to forget everything that's gone on, all of the challenges that have led us here. So we're going to take a little look at that as well and just kind of, like we said, provide some perspective to say to people, look, this progress isn't by accident. A lot has happened in the last few years. But in any case, people, that's it for me. C says, you know where to find me on the socials, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. You know where to find us at the Highbury Club. Um, nothing left to say, but enjoy your time, people, and we will speak to you soon. Have a good one.